What's that time of the week again? It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 460 for October 28th, 2016, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Boo Shots, back with programming by Stealth, episode 24 of X. How you doing today, Bart? I'm doing okay. Um, I I managed to come down with a nasty sucker of a cold, so uh, my, my, my fantastic streak of exercise has been broken. Oh, no. How many days did you make? 201, which isn't bad going. Holy cow. I made it to 78 before I broke, so I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm also back on the horse again today, so just all three circles are filled today. All right. Good to see. I'm a little disappointed in the uh, sharing on the iPhone uh, through the activity oh. app because nobody gave me crap when I fell off the wagon. What good huh. is, what good is uh, sharing the data if nobody notices when you screw up and give you a hard time, right? I guess it only notifies you when you do good. Now I get a notification every time you do exercise. I never get a notification to say Allison was a lazy sod today. Yeah, yeah. On Fitbit, man, I would have gone down. Sean Carruthers would have been all over me. Everybody would have been giving me a hard really? time. Yeah. Maybe it's worth sending apple.com for such feedback. <laughs> Seriously. No one gave me crap when I didn't exercise. This is a fail. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily phrase it like that, but you could make a positive <laughs> argument for it, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. Well, we've got a lot to go through today. We uh, are having some fun here with jQuery. I'm enjoying it, Bart. Good, good, good. Well, we're really taking things up a level today. So, uh, so far we have made use of other people's APIs. Uh, But today we're going to learn a few little extra pieces to take our code from copy, paste, copy, paste up to a a shareable state. So we're going to learn a pattern for writing code designed to be shared. Oh, So okay. basically, a library of our own. Now, why uh, would we want to share part. my silly little code? Are well, we going to write something okay, useful? Okay, two reasons. Well, actually, up to three reasons, right? So at the simplest level, pretty much everyone who does programming is going to be sharing with themselves. Ah, because it's okay. very unlikely you're going, to, you're going to never meet the same problem twice. So you can either write the code and just sort of hope you can get away with copy and pasting. But that is a recipe for trouble for future you. Okay. So you're doing future you a favor by writing your code in a reusable way so even if it never goes any further it's worth the effort uh secondly then if you do programming in some sort of team environment perhaps at work then obviously there's going to be a lot of inter-team sharing and that is a reason to be nice because it's not just future you it's also all of your colleagues that you're helping out and then if you solve a problem that is that may actually be useful to someone else well why not pop it up on github well, why yeah. not let other people use it? And again, it will be much easier for other people to use your code if you have packaged it up in such a way that it is a standalone entity. Now, that's that's a two-part thing. So there is how you write the JavaScript is an important part of how, we, how well your code will stand up to reuse. But the second part of that is even more important, both for future you, your potential teammates, and potential general public, and that's the documentation. An ah. undocumented API is one of the most frustrating things on the planet because you know it probably does what you want, but you'd be damned if you can figure out how to make it go. <laughs> um, I, I know Alistair w- talked about that fact when you when you you and him had a great chat about programming. You know, he's one of the things he mentioned is you know, an undo- a badly documented API is one of the most frustrating things on the planet. So we're going to learn about a technology which turns code comments into a documentation website. So if you just write the comments as you code, you can hit a button. And out will pop pretty documentation. Oh, really? Oh, oh really? That's kind of cool. 
And this is, it actually works in two ways. So it will force you to write good comments because these comments are going to be parsed, which means you have to obey certain rules. So you have to tell, you have to write the comment in a certain way so that it can be picked up properly, which is going to force you to think about the things you should be thinking about. And then you get these beautiful documentation coming just straight out. So if you want to put the code on GitHub, the documentation's ready, right? It's just, you hit go, out comes a pretty page. It even has a nice shiny CSS and stuff that gets embedded into it. So it actually looks really pretty. It's ready to go. That sounds great. That sounds great. So we're going to do we're going to do a little bit of that. Um, and in order to to arrive at the ability to write our code in this kind of reusable way, we're going to learn about three three new JavaScript things we haven't learned before. So we're working up towards something which I'll call a design pattern. So it's it's a way of designing your code that makes it reusable. But the pattern itself uses some things we don't know yet, so we've got to learn those, and then we can look at the pattern. All right. Sounds like a good deal. Okay, so before we do any of that, though, I set you a challenge last time. Well, not just you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and as is my usual form, uh, you sent me a note yesterday uh, talking about what time we were going to talk today, and I went, oh, no, our homework's due tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me when I was in college. I, I always swear when I get off the phone, well, okay, well, it's fresh in my mind. I'm going to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Then two mm-hmm. weeks go by, and the night before, I'm scrambling trying to do it, and Dorothy was paying no attention, didn't help me, and Alistair was at work, but I actually got uh-huh. it done almost completely on my own with just one little hint from you. I was going to say, I just nudged you in the right direction. I didn't tell you what was wrong with the code, but I did sort of suggest where you might look. What he told me was I had two extra characters. That was fabulous, because it did still take me a while to figure out what that could be. I'm like, is there a semicolon I don't need? Nope. If you, yes, if you, if you put a variable name inside quotes, it becomes a string, not the variable's value. Yeah, yeah. And the string, whatever that variable was called, isn't an image. So it got a great big question mark. Okay, so what I asked people to do for the assignment was to use some HTML I had written as a starting point, and there was a giant big comment saying, insert your code here. And what it was supposed to do is look through a document, find all the links, check whether or not those links are to an an external uh, domain or whether they're an internal link. If they're external, then the link should be transformed by having its target set to underscore blank, which will make it open in a new tab or window. It's rel attribute set to no opener, which will protect your site from the web page in the new tab you have just opened. And finally, then to inject an icon after the link so that someone looking at the at the page can see which links will pop up in a new tab and which won't, which is, I think, a nice courtesy to give people. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the one thing you hadn't done was told us what that little uh, that little image was going to look like. And I said, well, if it looks like a, a, a blue square with a blank uh, with a question mark, in it, <laughs> then I did it perfectly. <laughs> At least I no, knew I, had, I was close. It looks a bit like the iOS thing. It's a square box with an arrow coming out of it. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. Like this, this window goes out. Now, one thing you so, did really well was uh, the web page that you created actually has some instructions that you need to follow in order to know what to do in the homework. Because you you point out, you say, this is only going to work if you remember to launch this from your MAMP installation, right? Yep. And yes, I, of because... course, hadn't done that. So I was like banging away going, why is nothing changing at all? I don't understand. Oh, look what it says in there. <laughs> because <laughs> well, a lot of times you have you have uh the gobbledygook text right so i haven't been paying attention necessarily to what you said but when i started looking at it going oh that actually matters yes 
Yeah, because and as we're starting to use more third-party libraries, it's very important that your code be in the same folder as the contrib folder. So this is this is a thing. It's sort of a convention in programming that stuff that isn't yours, you put in a folder called contrib for contributed code. Oh. Oh, okay. That's what contrib is short for. It's contributed. So basically, it's stuff other people have written, which you are importing into your project. So I always obey that sort of rule. So basically, if it's in the contrib folder, I didn't write it. And so that contrib folder, I'm always being very careful when I'm creating the zip files that the contrib folder has all the third-party libraries we need for the day. So in this case, we needed URI.js and jQuery we're actually pulling in from the uh, CDN. So jQuery doesn't have to be in the contrib folder, but URI.js most certainly is. And so if you're not in that, if you don't have that folder available to you, it ain't going to work. Yeah, and well, today, it also we doesn't work if you just double click, even if you had that structure correct, if you just double click on the HTML file you've created and open it in a web browser, it didn't, it didn't work correctly. That is because a lot of browsers put extra protections on the domain uh, file colon slash slash. So not, sorry, not the domain, the, the URL scheme file colon slash slash has massively reduced permissions. Okay. Because that was being abused for all sorts of security nastiness. So when you double click a file, it's not going through a web server. It's you'll see the URL is file colon slash slash whatever. And browsers restrict what a file can do. Okay. Okay. And that's what's going wrong there. Ah. Well, I eventually got that part sorted. And at least some of the stuff I was doing was making an effect because I'm like, how could nothing I've done have I mean it should at least <laughs> make glop. It should wreck something. Well, I mean, you always have the terminal to go in and start typing stuff. And if the terminal says, I don't know what quest, what, what the dollar sign is, and it's like, okay. You mean the console? Something has gone. Console, yes, sorry. Yeah. It is kind of a webby terminal, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I, is there much we want to go through in, my, in, in the solution? Um, Maybe I could was, just talk through very quickly what it is. is it, sure, Just yeah. a little piece is uh, you had, and I, and I was... I kind of wish I was capable of writing everything you wrote, but you gave us kind of the starting point. So it was only uh, three lines I had to do was you had created a variable dollar a to be dollar this inside the each function. So I already knew we were already looping through the links. So uh, I needed to just add the attribute. So dollar a dot attr and then target underscore blank with commas between it. And then uh, another one for rel no opener. But then mm-hmm. to pull the icon in, I created a variable called icon and then did the uh, dollar, gave it the image tag. Then the attribute, the source was that uh, the uh, variable you had created, which was that long giant glop of, of data glop. after yeah, <laughs> the glop section. And then had to append the icon to uh, $A. Okay. And did you set an alt attribute on the, um, on the image? Shoot. Was that in the instructions? No, but that's, remember when we were doing HTML, we said that if you want to be accessible to the blind, you always have to do the alt oh, tag. Oh, nailed me. Uh, you know what? I, I remember in the middle of working on this that I saw I saw something about that. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. But I was still stuck on getting it to do anything. And so uh, once right. I did, uh, I uh, I was okay. Or I, I forgot to go back. So my bad. Yeah, because other than that, your solution sounds the same as mine. Um I also, in my solution, stuck a title on it so that when you hover the mouse over it, it says link opens in new tab. But again, that's just prettification. That wasn't really part of the assignment. Okay. So I mean, anything you could put in an HTML tag, remember, you can do with this jQuery stuff. So it's just another dot atter title comma link opens in new tab and a dot atter alt external link icon. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. Um, and so you obviously used $a.after to inject it into the DOM because it showed up in the right place. So Wait, say that one more time. 
a dollar a dot after i'm guessing or did you append, append. it into the link I okay so it. you stuck it into the link i stuck it after the link is that okay um if it looks fine it's okay it, it, my thinking of sticking it in if you stick it in the link it may get underlined which may look a bit funny yeah it didn't in uh, safari it may in another browser though yeah so that's okay. why i went for dot after because if it's after the link then you can't have that happen okay good to know so, subtle different yeah it's, it's it's effectively the same thing really do i stick it inside the a tag or just after the a tag okay um so let us let us do new stuff then yay Okay, so if you're writing code to be reused, right, it's a big thing you have to worry about is that you don't want to litter the global scope. Um, Imagine that you have code to do something and it uses a variable called x. Well, that code cannot be reused with any other code that uses the variable x, because there only is one variable x. So if your code uses x and some other code you wrote before uses x, they can never be used together because they will be fighting over x. So you need to remove as much as possible of your reusable code out of the global scope so that you don't have this chance of collision, because that will just cause you nightmares down the road. So ultimately, what we want to achieve is as, f- as few as possible globally scoped names in our code. So m- many, in fact, most programming languages have a concept known as a namespace or a package. And this creates a hierarchy of entirely independent scopes for variables to be in. So when you create a new API, you'd simply place all the code in its own namespace so it can never clash with anyone ever. And then it's all completely separated and you're all perfectly safe. So if you were writing in Java, you'd have a package and the Java rules are you go a reverse DNS name. So mm. if I was doing something because my business name is Bartificer, I would say net.bartificer.project name. Yeah. That would be my namespace and couldn't possibly clash with anyone. If I was writing in, when I write in Perl, the xkpasswd, the code is all inside a namespace crypt colon colon hsxkpasswd. Can't conflict with anyone. The bad news is, JavaScript has no such mechanism. Oh. Which means we have to improvise. And we're we're not, this is not improvisation we're doing. The community has sort of come to an agreement of how best to deal with this shortcoming in the language. And a design pattern has come about that is commonly used. And it's not perfect, but it means that we reduce our impact on the global scope to one variable. So we just need to pick one name that's not likely to clash with someone else, and then we're golden. Huh, okay. Is there a name so for we, this convention? Uh, it's just called the sort of namescaping with closures. It, people call it different things, but uh, uh, it, it's basically pseudo-namescaping, I call it. Um, namescaping or namespacing? Namespacing. namespacing <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I might be spacing a bit. I will always <laughs> call it the wrong name, just so you know. Okay. Namescaping. Yes. You, you take a name and you cut and it you into a very pretty it. shape. <laughs> yes. Um, so in order to understand the technique, we need to learn three things. We need to learn something called closure, which is a feature of JavaScript that is, I will warn you now, this has the danger of making your head explode. Um, okay. I expect you. I, I expect this. It will become second nature to you because we will be using it a lot. But I expect you to do a lot of her. Huh, what? Well, um, <laughs> it sounds it, like it, me. it's a. It, it's not 
straightforward. Then there is an operator that Jill is going to be delighted I'm teaching you. I was going to avoid teaching you be- this because it can be simulated with if-elses, but I've changed my mind. We are going to do something called the ternary operator. Ternary? And okay. then, yeah. So this is, so everything else we've had has had either one, it's a, so a unary operator is something like plus plus, right? It has one input. I plus plus, the one input is I. So it's a unary operator. Most operators are binary. So plus has a thing plus another thing. So that's a binary operator. There is one operator in JavaScript that takes three things. So that's a ternary operator. Hmm. And uh, as I said, we'll, we'll come across it. It's not, it's not evil, but it can be abused to write ugly code but I suggest we don't abuse it and just use it to write nice code. And then the last thing we're going to look at is a bizarre beast called a self-executing anonymous function. As if anonymous functions aren't weird enough, we can now make them run themselves. Okay. Which is useful. So ultimately, closures are the single most important feature of what we're going to be doing today. And I think we've technically already used them. I just have kept my mouth shut as to what's going on. But technically, we have already seen these in action. So, in JavaScript, if you define one function within another function, right? So you have a function, and then inside that function, you make another function. Then you have an outer function and an inner function. And that inner function, there's some funkiness that goes on. So... I've already told you that every time you create a function, a whole new scope comes into being. So if you say var x inside the function, that's not the same x as x in the global scope. That x belongs to that function. Right. Yes? Yep. And I found that okay. I was really proud of how I could follow that in your example from which we made the uh, the challenge. I'd say, okay, okay, well, is that inside the global scope? Is that here? Okay, yes. It knows about this variable. I can use it. Exactly. So some that is true. And that is important. But actually, something even more cool, I guess, happens. So, okay, so you have a function. And inside that function, you make a variable. And then also inside that function, you make another function. That another function, that inner function, gets a copy of the outer function's scope. All right, we just took a quick break for some uh, Skype fun and discovered that uh, the technical call info now gives us no clues to what's wrong with the call, but it seems to be sorted. So Bart's going to make an attempt to start back up where we were. Good luck, Bart. Yeah, and (laughs) I'm going to err on the side of not skipping a bit. (laughs) So if I'm repeating myself, I do apologize. Um, Okay, but this is an important concept. So we have an outer function, and it declares a variable. So that variable belongs to the outer function scope. The outer function then declares a function. That function gets to keep a copy of the outer variable's scope forever, Hmm. which means that anything you do in that inner function can access the variables you created in the outer function. Even So the function runs, it creates the variable, it creates the function. The inner function isn't executed yet. It's only been created, and the outer function ends. And then at some point later, that inner function is executed because maybe you made it a click handler or something. Well, it still has a copy of that variable you made in that function. So the variable is sort of in limbo, but the inner function retains a reference to it. And it's not even that it got a copy. It's actually a reference to it. So if you alter the variable, it stays altered. So the next time you run the inner function, it sees the value you changed last time. So it's not like you declared a new variable because then it would go back to zero every time. Yeah. So to illustrate the point, I've created a very simple function called init click counter. So the function is simply function init click counter. It defines a variable inside the outer function. So we just say var counter equals zero. 
Then we define a function inside the outer function. So we say var increment counter equals function. Mm-hmm. Open our squarely brackets. Counter plus plus. So counter is the variable from the outer function. Window.alert counter equals, and then we append the value of the counter. So it's a very simple function. It just adds one to the counter and shows you what it is. So it's immediately one where it was zero outside. No, we have defined the function. We have not executed it. I thought you right? said it's changed it to one. No, no. When the, when the function executes, it will, it will <laughs> up. We haven't executed the function. We've only created the function. Okay. Right? All right. Then we say $p dot click is increment counter. So in other words, That's we are outside adding... of the inner function, but inside the outer function. Exactly. So in other words, yeah, because oh, right. So that function increment counter that 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 only exists as a name. That exists as a name inside the scope of the outer functions. When the outer function finishes, that name is gone. But once we say $p dot click increment counter. Well, now it's been baked in as a click handler, even though the name has vanished forever. The function is now tied to clicking. So whenever we click on a paragraph, the inner function will execute and it will reach up to the counter variable in the outer function, even though that outer function ran, finished, and is gone. Hmm. So the inner function has the inner function has kept a reference to that counter variable, and the click handler in the paragraph has kept a reference to the inner function, and they will continue to exist until we refresh the page, even though the function that created them went away. Now, it also means there's no way for us outside this function to ever access those variables again. So they are private. The, which, they which variables? Counter or increment counter. counter? Both. Neither of them are accessible anymore. We cannot, we cannot say in the terminal, or not the terminal, sorry, the... Um, actually, okay, let's... We have a HTML page that, puts it, that actually does this. So let's actually run that HTML page and then we can interact with it so we can see what's going on. So it is pbs24a.html. Yes, and so everybody did remember to uh, download the zip file and is following along by this time. Yes. Okay. So very simple little page. It just says click counter with a little text that says click me. So click on me or okay. click anywhere in that paragraph. It says right. counter equals one. Okay. Click again. Counter equals two. Okay. I can keep doing this and the counter keeps going up. I made it so to it's three not- before I got bored. Okay, so did I. So it's not that the counter is being recreated each time the function runs. It Ah. is the same counter that is staying in existence. Yes, you agree with me? Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Okay, now, the only thing that knows how to do that function is the click handler on paragraphs. If you type counter into the developer tools, it says counter is not defined because counter never existed in the global scope. Wait, 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 what? Developer, where are you? Into the console, in the web console. Oh, okay, didn't have a console. Uh, hang on, we develop. Uh, error console, okay. Okay, so, so just type counter in into the console. Mm-hmm. And it will say reference error, counter is not defined. Because counter never existed in the global scope. It only existed inside that function. Now, the, 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 the inner function is called increment counter. Try type that into console. And I was actually in the entirely wrong window, wrong place altogether. So you said counter says nothing. Okay. And increment counter? It's also going to say undefined because it also never existed in the global scope. Okay. Um, However, if we in the terminal, in, in the, I keep calling it a terminal, in the little commandy prompty thing, mm-hmm. if we type dollar 
p inside strings dot click open bracket close bracket and say that our function does still exist yeah so we have managed to write code which is nowhere in the global scope but it still works Okay. So we have not we have added functionality to that paragraph in a way that has caused no pollution of I global namespace. Okay. Yeah, at first it sounds concerning, but it's no, we did that on purpose. Right. We want to be able to add things into a page like a clock or something to mess around with our links without filling the global namespace up with glop. So this this concept of closures, this ability of a function to make its own scope, and then a function inside a function to take that scope with it permanently, that is powerful. And that's, hmm. that, that concept of taking the scope that you were created in with you, that's called closure. Don't that's know why a terrible it's name. That's not yeah, got anything to remember entirely. at all. I don't know how people remember. I just remember it because I've been doing this for a long time. Okay. I, it makes no sense to me. Someone maybe, maybe a listener can explain to me why they chose that name. But it doesn't matter. The point is, if you make a function inside a function, that inner function takes with it the scope of the outer function in perpetuity forever. And that is the point I want to drive home. And forever being defined as till the page gets refreshed. Yes, basically the universe, right? In terms of JavaScript, the entire universe is the web page and the entire existence of time is until you hit refresh. And then it's a new Big Bang and the universe starts over. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so that's concept number the first twacked on the head okay so the next thing okay so we're going to meet the ternary operator and we're going to get there because we're trying to achieve something so what we would like to do is to take all of our code and collapse it into a single variable in the global namespace and so instead of having to choose lots of unique names we're going to choose one name and stick everything into that one name and you have seen this before because in our playground, where did I stick all of my functionality? PBS.say? I stuck it all into the into PBS. Okay. So there was a PBS.say, a PBS.input, a PBS.inputs. So PBS is or was in the playground an object. And that object had a key called say, which was an anonymous function. And hmm. it had a key called inputs which was another function oh. so i took all of my functions and stuck them into an object called pbs so oh. pbs is behaving like a pseudo namespace so is pbs closure or the act of doing this is closure neither of these things are closure so the <laughs> fact that i'm putting them in there does not make it a closure i'm just that's how i'm presenting it out right okay. so this is another piece of the of the big puzzle however i could have no, no, actually, no, this has nothing to do with closures. This is just, how do we, right, when we're finished making our stuff, it still has to be possible for someone to actually say go, right? If I have made a cla- if I have made some code to make a clock, you have to be able to say, give me one of Bart's clocks. You need to be able to do that without filling your global namespace with glop, but you do still need to be able to do that. So you need to have a way of reaching into my code. Now, 90% of my code will be hidden from you inside a closure, but there has to be something public. There has to be something that I'm using to let you access the code I want you to access. So that's what the namespace is for. It's for and letting that thing you access was PBS. 
So I used PBS because I thought that was a good name for what we were doing. And so we are going to, for the remainder of this series, whenever we write an API, we're going to call it PBS.something. Okay. So we are going to keep using PBS as our top-level namespace. And which means that the only variable we are going to dirty in the global scope is the variable PBS. So we are not going to be compatible with anyone else who uses PBS as their name. So if all the nocilla castaways get out there writing this PBS stuff, it's going to be a mess. (laughs) I guess, but they shouldn't, right? So when I, I, I generally say pick a name that has some sort of importance to you. So I tend to use the namespace Bartificer for the stuff I publish on GitHub. Mm-hmm. because that's my registered business name and I've never come across another one. So when I wrote subnetcalc.it and I open sourced the JavaScript code behind that, I put it all into the namespace bartificer.ip. Okay. So the 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 uh, prototype I wrote to represent an IP address is bartificer.ip.ip. The prototype I wrote to represent a subnet is bartificer.ip.subnet. The one for a netmask is bartificer.ip.netmask. So that's the other thing is you can nest these namespaces as deep as you like because an object can contain an object can contain functions. So I'm a little confused because I thought I was all excited. I knew what closure was, but or what a closure was. But then you said mm-hmm. using this PBS and as an object and then having the key be all of these functions inside. You said that's not a closure. No. So this right, closure is a concept we need to hide our code. But we also have to do the opposite of hide our code. We also have to expose the bits we want to make public. Our API has <laughs> okay. to have something, right? Okay. Okay. So it's the opposite of the closure. It's the opposite of the closure. Okay. This is how we will present out the things we wish to present out. Because you gotcha. have to, right? An API is a list of functions that people can use. Well, you got to name them. you gotta, you got to present them out. So those functions will have functionality, and how they work under the hood will be hidden by closures. But what we choose to present out as the API... That will all be namespaced under PBS in our case. Okay. So I am saying we have to have something in the global scope to make our stuff available. And we are going to do that in a really pinprick way. So we're just saying PBS, that is it. That is the only thing we're going to use in the global scope, just PBS. And so we will do no more littering. We are going to put this one piece of trash and that is our trash forever. Okay. And that's just because JavaScript gives us no choice. It has no other model for doing this. Okay, so we are, over time, going to do lots of things. So we might create, say, a file called pbs.fixlinks.js. And then we might create another file called pbs.worldclock.js. And then we might create another file called pbs.problem1.js. So you're going to have all of these separate files. And one project, you might use two of them, but not the third or maybe only want one file. So they're all editing the same object, PBS. So where do you declare that variable? Well, the answer is you could create a a fourth file called pbs.initializer.js and say that anyone who wants to use any PBS code must run this file first, and then any ones of the other files you want. But that would be ugly as all PGesus. Yeah? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little bit distracted because I lost where we were in the show notes. And I know m- most people are just listening and they wouldn't be sympathetic. But w- where have we We are in to? the big, big, big blob of text between the click me link and the next bit of uh, where it says var PBS equals PBS question mark PBS. We're just above that. I don't know where that is. Sorry, we're after closures. Are we into we're, objects we're just, of pseudo we're namespaces closures, yet? We're into, yes, we are. We are about five paragraphs into that. Oh, okay. All right. I was listening instead of reading, and that was my mistake. 
Okay. No, no, it's okay for it's okay for another about thirty seconds until I give a code example. Um, okay, so, so repeat the last thing you you were just talking about. So I have said that we are going to use PB, the variable PBS, and we're going to stick all of our functionality into it. So when I write a new API to do something, I'm going to I'm going to write the functions and then stick them into this PBS object. Yeah. So where does the PBS object get created? So we're going to have lots of different JS files, and in any one project, you're going to use a subset of them, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, but you're never going to use them all. So where do you declare the variable that you're going to manipulate to stick all this functionality into? You could have a separate file called pbsinitializer.js, and then just say to everyone, if you want to use any of our APIs, you must run this file first. But that's really annoying. And no one does it like that because that's really annoying. Why is it annoying? Well, because if I if you want to use my link fixer, you have to run this file and then the link fixer. Well, that's, we had to have that contrib folder in there when we wanted to do something. Okay, but we were okay. No, no, okay. But when we wanted to use URI.js, we didn't have to load two files. We just had to load URI.js. How is this two files? Okay, I'm saying if we if we say that we are going to make lots of things and stick them all under the name PBS, if we want someone to be able to use one of those things without having to use all of those things, then we need to have a way of initializing the variable PBS in such a way that it doesn't matter if it was already initialized by a different file. We want to say at the top of every one of our files, create a new variable called PBS unless there's already a variable called PBS, in which case don't. Okay. So, so that way, if you import, say, fixlinks.pbs, pbs.fixlinks.js, and you import the, our clock one that we haven't written yet, then it would be fine because you'd import the first one. It would say, does PBS exist? No, it does not. Okay, I will create PBS and I will shove into PBS all of my cool functions. And then we come to the second file and it says, does PBS exist? Oh, yes, it does. I will not destroy it. I will add my functions in. So when we're finished, the PBS variable contains two APIs. One from the first file and one from the second file. And if you loaded them in the other order, it would still work because the other one would now say, does it exist yet? No, it does not. I shall create it. And then the other guy comes along and says, oh, it already exists. I'll just tag my stuff in. Okay. See what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I was getting uh, confused because you were saying the other guy, but it's all PBS stuff, but it's that you don't have to load everything at once. You can load them one at a time and they don't erase the other ones that were already there. And you don't right. have to load the whole pile of PBS glop. Exactly. Okay. And so the way you do that is by basically declaring the variable and then saying, if I exist, assign myself equal to myself, otherwise assign myself equal to an empty, an empty object. Okay. And believe it or not, the snippet of code says var pbs equals pbs, question mark, pbs, colon, squarely bracket, squarely bracket, semicolon, does what I just said. <laughs> okay, so that says the variable pbs is going to be equal to itself. And then there's a question mark. It's like, unless PBS right. is okay, already so there. Something question mark, something colon is the ternary operator. So it has three parts. So the first part, so the ternary operator is condition, question mark, value one, colon, value two. The whole thing will evaluate to value one if the condition is true, or it will evaluate to value two if the condition is false. So in other words, if PBS is undefined, undefined is false, that means that PBS becomes the empty object. If PBS is defined... Okay, Okay. it says PBS, question mark, PBS, colon, squirrely brackets. So is condition one 
The question condition mark? Is before the question mark. So the condition comes before. It's condition, question mark, value one, colon, value two. Okay, so, so the, the condition, condition is PVS? Right. So that has to be evaluated to true or false. So then we come back to our rules for truthiness. How if is PVS is, a condition? Okay, well, right. Anything can be evaluated to true or false if you remember back to like installment one, right? Anything becomes true or false. So by a saying PVS exists, true. that's saying it's true. Exactly. The okay. only thing that's false is undefined, right? So if PBS is an object, every object is true. So if PBS is an object, then it's going to evaluate to true. And so okay. we set it equal to itself again. Okay. So, so PBS, PBS, question mark, PBS, if, it, if PBS exists, that says set it to PBS, which means mm -hmm. don't overwrite it. And then yeah. colon value two, value two is make it an empty object. Exactly. Okay. So if PBS is defined, just make it equal to itself. In other words, no change. Nothing has changed here. Otherwise, make it an empty object. Okay. And if you stick that at the top of every file, it will never break anything you've done in another file. Hmm. Well, I like that. Yeah, and it's, it's short. Now, yeah. that's not a really good way to learn the ternary operator. So below, <laughs> we have a more human-friendly <laughs> Right example. after teaching it to us, he says that's a bad way to teach it to us. Good. <laughs> right. You know, this is what we want, right? This is what we're trying to achieve. Okay. But if you'd like to understand it, the next example is an easier way to cement the knowledge into your brain. Okay. So we have var x equals y greater than zero question mark y colon zero. In other words, var x will become equal to y as long as y is greater than zero. Otherwise, we'll make it equal to zero. Oh, that's a much easier way to understand. Isn't it? Okay. Yeah. That was and mean so of you to do it the other way around, but okay. So below is the nice three little lines to copy and paste into the terminal. So we say var y equals four. Then we say var x equals y greater than zero question mark y colon zero and then console.log x. And you will see that in that case, x y, sorry, x becomes four because four is greater than zero. And then if you do x equals minus three and repeat the steps, you'll see that x becomes zero. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry. You're asking me to like flip over to other web pages and look in consoles and what? So you said okay. to drop that snippet Those of code in the console. Yeah, so those are so var y equals four. Pop that in the console, and then y will become four in your console. Mm -hmm. Then var x equals y greater than zero question mark y colon zero. So pop that in. So that's saying if uh, the variable x would become uh, y if if y is already greater than zero, and mm -hmm. we already know y is four, so console x should just return a four. Correct. Okay, got it. And then to prove the opposite, repeat those steps, but with y equals minus 3 is the first step. And then x will become 0. Okay. Okay. Got it. And so most people will write the var namespace equals namespace question mark namespace colon squirrely squirrely as habit. They won't even think what it means. It's just this is part of the design pattern. And they will just do it. But I wanted to explain what the sodding hell that weirdo code meant. Because it is a bit weird looking. Yeah, yeah, what? it's very strange. I thought I lost you there for a sec, but thankfully you were just thinking. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that, no, I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay, so that's two out of our three new, new concepts. So now we come to the weirdo beast that is the self-executing anonymous function. <laughs> so we know that parentheses can mean different things depending on where they appear. 
so far, we well, in fact, we know there are three ways they can be used. They can be used. So we we know that if if a parenthesis appears with nothing to its left, or no, sorry, no no name or value to its le- left, it means group this together. And we've seen that in stuff like var x equals four plus five inside parens star six minus seven inside parens. Yeah, there's yes. no value directly to the left in either of those cases. So those parentheses just mean group me. We what also do you mean know no that value. We, I don't know what you mean by no value to the left. It doesn't say like console.log open parens or x open parens or math.squareRoot open parens, right? There's, to the left of the parens is not a value, it's an operator, a star or an equal sign. Okay, just an equation. Just says x equals 4 plus y times 6 minus 7. Correct. Why is this magical in some way? No, I'm just saying this is, if you see a parenthesis in this context, and this context is there is no value to the left. What is to the left is an operator. Yes. Okay, so when whatever is to the left is an operator, what happens is parens means group me. Now, if what is to the left is a keyword like if, while, for, or function, then a parens doesn't mean group me. Then a parens means whatever it means in that context. So for an if statement, it means I will contain a condition. For a while statement, it means I will contain a condition. For a for loop, it means stick three things in here for me, please. And for a function, it means give me your arguments. So if you see parens with the word if, while, for, or function directly to the left, it behaves differently. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I just, it doesn't seem particularly magical compared, I mean, we've been using parentheses to, to be mean magical. St- I'm just... strings and all kinds of, parentheses means all kinds of junk. Good, that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, good. <laughs> but, but what JavaScript will do with them is not arbitrary, it's defined by strict rules. Okay. So the first rule is if what's to my left is an operator, then I'm just here for grouping. If what's to my left is a keyword, then I, I'm here for that keyword. Okay. And if what's to my left is anything else, I will try to figure out whatever that anything is, turn it into a function, and then run the function. So console.log open parens some value close parens, what's directly to the left is console.log. So JavaScript will try to figure out what console.log is and try to make it run as a function console is an object log is a key within that object and the value it points to is an anonymous function therefore it will run that anonymous function with the argument test okay so that's what's happening i just want to be really explicit about that now we can combine the first use of a f- of parens with the last use of parens to make a an self-executing anonymous function <laughs> you're scaring me okay so the example you see below there is open parens. So that parens has nothing to its left. So it is just grouping. Okay. Inside that parens, we have an anonymous function. Function msg console.log msg close, paren, close squarely close our parens. Wait, wait, wait. I so thought that, anonymous functions had nothing inside the parens. No, anonymous functions have no name in front of the word function. Sorry, uh, I, I, sorry. No, right. If Okay, if I say function x, open bracket, then x is the name of the function, so it's not anonymous. If I say function open parens, it's anonymous. Oh, okay. That this just means has it no has name. an argument, MSG, but it's still anonymous. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry, got confused. All right. Okay. So inside the first set of parens, we just have an anonymous function. And then straight after that set of parens, we have another set of parens. 
Now, those set of parens, what do they have directly to their left? Grouping it's not an operator. Right. Which is so in other words, it, grouping. Right. So what it will do is it will try to evaluate what's there to make it into a function and then run the function. In other words, it will run the anonymous function we just created. And it will wait, use wait, but those are just like, grouping. They're not... Okay, but the second set of parens says, whatever's to my left, I'm going to try turn into a function. The second set of parens says, I'm trying to execute something. What is to my left? Well, inside these parens is something grouped. Okay, what's in here? Oh, I'll run this command. It is a function. I will run this function. Hmm. So, so the first set of parentheses first... are, are grouping. But the second one mm-hmm. isn't grouping because why? Well, because what it, what is directly to its left? It's not an operator, and it's not a keyword if, for, or while. So JavaScript says, I need to make whatever's to my left be a function somehow. So it's going to look inside those parens and say, what is there in here for me to do? Oh, there's a definition here of an anonymous function. So okay, that, fine, that, that only applies to the second set of parentheses, because the first set of parentheses yeah. don't have a keyword. They don't have an operator. Exactly. They don't have anything to the left. And yet right. they're grouping. Exactly. So they're grouping one thing. So what's the difference? If you say var x equals open parens for close parens, is that any different to var x equals four? Nope. Okay, that Grouping doesn't, says, do that me doesn't address what I was just saying. But uh, I'm saying that this this first set of parentheses are around this anonymous function. There is mm-hmm. nothing to the left of it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not got a keyword. It's not got an operator. Therefore, it should mm-hmm. try to evaluate what's to the left of it. If That if that sentence makes no sense on the left one, no, but no. it makes sense on the right one. Okay, so on the left one, like if you look at paren 4 plus 5 close paren star 6 minus 7 inside paren, what does that actually mean? It means do what's in the brackets first. Uh-huh. So 4 plus 5 gets done first. Right. So the anonymous function gets created first. We don't have a var x equals anything on this new line, so... Okay, I'm just saying, on our very first example of the first way that parens can be used for grouping, what grouping means is do me first. Okay. Right? Grouping means I take priority. Okay. So but apply we can't that do that on the plan. second one? Right, the second, right, so the, the, our, our self-executing monotonous function has a group of, uh, the first set of parens is a grouping parens, which means do me first. So the first thing that happens is the anonymous function is created. Mm-hmm. And then what's inside those parens is an anonymous function. Right. It's an object of type function. And right. then straight after that object of type function is another set of parens who's in the mode of, I will try execute whatever the hell is to my left. What's to my left? Oh, look, a function has just come into being. Okay. I will execute the function. Okay. But right here, I'm trying to figure out why the parentheses on the second one are, I need to go find a function to my left. Is it because it's the second set of parentheses or because nothing interesting is inside those parentheses? If there was an anonymous function inside those parentheses, what would it do? Okay, which example are you talking about? The, te- the right. f- function uh, message console.log message. Okay. And then it says test in, in single quotes inside parentheses. Well, there's no, there's no function. There's nothing it can do. Is that why it looks to the left? Okay, so... Yes or no? Well, the reason it looks to its left is because there's something to the left. Ah, so it does matter that it's the second one. That's what I asked before. I said, is yes. it only because okay, it's sorry. the second one? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Totally, completely. Yes. Okay. So if it had an anonymous function in it, it wouldn't execute an anonymous function. It would look to its left anyway, first. Because it's yes. the one on the right. Yeah. So the one on the right is basically going, 
there is something to my left. I must evaluate it and then try execute it. And so it just looks inside the parentheses. Oh, look, there's an anonymous function here. Okay, fine. I'll execute it. Okay. So the end result is that if you copy and paste that code into the web console, it will console.log test. Okay. It does? So that proves that it is a self-executing anonymous function. We never named it, right? This function has no name. This function also doesn't exist anymore. It just executed and went away. Why does paste not work in my browser? Why does copy not work in my browser? We had this before. We figured it out. What, how, what was it? I don't, well, whatever it is, I wish I could figure it out again. <laughs> Scam warning. Take care when pasting things you don't understand. I know what I'm doing. Ooh. Some protection going on there? Yeah. Scam, how do I... How do I... So your Safari is doing that? Firefox has a yellow thing. Scam warning. Take care when pasting things. This could allow an attacker to take control of you. Please wow. type allow pasting below. Okay, fine. Interesting. Pasting. Well, what are you thinking? Going to a web page and copying and pasting code, Bart? You should know better than that. <laughs> hey, okay, I'm technically impressed. <laughs> Thank you. And mildly cranky. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Copy and pasting working? Copy and pasting is now working, so it's now console.log test for me. Phew. Okay. <laughs> so, the point is, if we use this construction, we can execute code that we never in any way, that code has never ended up in the global namespace. We made a function, we ran that function, and it never had a name. We managed to make code execute, and it never had a name. But we've done that before. We've had anonymous functions. We've had anonymous functions, but then we've gone and shoved them into variables before we could execute oh. them. Oh, yeah, 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 right, right. Or we've shoved okay. them into something else. In this case, we just made it execute itself. So I don't, I don't have to remember how to put functions inside variables anymore because I can just do this. Um, well, no, because you put them inside variables because you want to, you want to use them for something, right? Okay, That's something fine. you do for a reason. Okay, fine. <laughs> now, when you type it all out on one line, it's perfectly fine if you're doing a console.log, but if you were writing 100 lines of code inside your anonymous self-executing function, that particular layout would not work very well. So you will generally see it laid out like you see in the next example below. So open parens, function msg, open squarelies, all your code, close squarely, close parens, open parens, your arguments, close parens, semicolon. But all so the stuff the inside that, uh, the inside so the function is on its on separate lines. All the stuff inside the function is on separate lines. So it says more lines of code within your self-executing anonymous function could go here. Okay. And in actual fact, the recipe calls for us to put all of our code in there. Recipe? So the recipe, yes, yeah, so the recipe for our, our way of doing things, right? Our recipe for making reusable code. The thing we've been trying to reach all along. Okay. So a recipe for namespacing in JavaScript. So this is this, is this technique, this design pattern, this way of doing things. Okay? Yep. So... First thing we do always when we're using this recipe is that we make our namespace exist. So we say var pbs equals pbs, question mark pbs, colon, squirrely, squirrely, semicolon. Okay. That is our first incantation. All right. So now the namespace exists. The namespace now exists. Then, then we start an anonymous self-executing function. And we give it an argument. We give it as its argument our namespace. 
Okay. So, and we use the same name both when we call the function and when we name it inside defining the anonymous function. So you see PBS appears twice. Okay. All right. So we basically pass our pinhole into the anonymous function. Within the anonymous function, closures now come into being. So in here, I have created a variable called the string. That variable only exists within the self-executing anonymous function. So mm-hmm. it will never touch the global scope. Right. But I can use it in all of my code. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I like it. Right? And the only thing that will come out at the end is whatever we've done to PBS. So we then say world equals a function, which uses our string. So in other words, after this self-executing function executes, PBS will have learned how to do hello world. But the variable, the string, never went anywhere near the global scope, cannot be found again. It is a private variable. It only exists within our self-executing function. I th- so I thought I followed everything, uh, but the the last lines there, you say pbs.hello world equals an anonymous function, window.alert, parentheses, the string. the string. Right. So because of the magic of closures, pbs.hello world will always have access to the variable inside the closure. So the string will continue to work forever for that function. That function but being pbs? pbs.hello world. Okay, but we're we're still inside that internal function right now. Okay, right, yes, but PBS has been passed in as an argument, so PBS is the real PBS, right? PBS is our pinprick. Okay. We have passed to our anonymous self-executing function the variable PBS. On line 16, we've shoved PBS in as the input. Where we put test in last time, we're now putting in PBS. Okay, I don't know why that's exciting. We are passing something from the global scope into the anonymous function. The anonymous function is altering that thing from the global scope, which means that we have added... Oh, altering it by creating pbs.helloworld. Exactly. So before okay. the anonymous function runs, pbs is an empty object. Oh, right, After right, right. the anonymous function runs, pbs is an object with one key, hello world, which is a pointer to a function. In other words, pbs.helloworld will now run as a function. So we could actually say world. If you copied and pasted all of that into the console and then ran world, it would alert hello world. Okay. Now, what you actually want to do is save this, which is our very, very tiny API. This is the world's smallest and dumbest API. This is An API is a list of functions, variables, and prototypes. This is a list of one. Right, But it's an API, it's the world's smallest and silliest API, and it's one function that does nothing of any interest. However, this is an API. This is the pbs.helloworld API. And we should hmm. save all of that into a separate file called pbs.helloworld.js. And we can now use this API on any web page you like by saying script type equals text slash JavaScript src equals pbs.helloworld.js. Huh. And then we can use pbs.helloworld inside our code. So we have a full worked example here, pbs24b. So if we read the code, we say HTML, head, all our usual stuff. Wait, 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 wait. Got to get B up. Open a new tab. Oh, it looks just like the other one. It still says example one. Oh, shouldn't it say oh, example sugar, two? I gave it the wrong title. Now, if you look in the source code, you'll see I just typed the wrong title because I'm silly. Okay, but that is a different one. It is a different one. Okay. Let so me... if you look up, if you look at the source, because that's I'm, what I'm I getting there. To... I'm getting there. Give me a second. I think. 
PS24. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the source now. All right. Okay. So it starts off like we're used to, right? We have our HTML tag, our head tag, our meta equiv, our title, which is wrong. Uh, we import the jQuery library like we've been doing for weeks now. Now we come to something we haven't done before. Import our Hello World API. Script type equals text JavaScript SRC equals pbs.helloworld.js. So at that instant in time, the self-executing anonymous function executes. And at, from that point forward in the document, pbs.helloworld exists. So where did it get the script? Did you put that in contrib? Uh, well, I put it in the same folder. Because it's not code someone else wrote, I put it in the same folder as this example. So it's a ah, relative link. There. That's what I was looking for. We had to have it somewhere, right? Right. Yeah, so it's sitting in the same folder right next to it. Hence, the URL to it is just the name of the file. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. okay, that's what was bothering me. All right. Okay. Then we have our own script. We have the dollar function being used to do our document ready thing. So inside our dollar function, we say $p.click world. So in other words, we are saying that the click handler on all paragraphs is going to be our new hello world function. So on this one, when you do click me, it will very boringly say hello world at you. I love it. I love it. Okay. I followed that. Right. right. So we have wrapped all of our code. So we used a variable called, what did I call it? I called it the string, I think. Uh-huh. So try put the string into the console. It doesn't exist. Uh-huh. It has been hidden from you. I was able to use that variable in my code without polluting the global namespace. So whatever I do inside my API, you cannot access. All you can access is the stuff I make public by saying PBS dot something equals something. Well, it also doesn't know hello world. It knows exactly. It only knows PBS dot hello world because the only literate oh. we're doing is the PBS. Everything we do is being presented out through PBS. So PBS dot hello world is fine. Ah, right, 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 right. Okay. That's an important distinction. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Huh. So th- so we are using PBS as our path into the global namespace. We are basically promising people to use our APIs. The only variable that will clutter up your global namespace or your global scope is the variable PBS. Please don't use that for anything else, and then you can use our stuff. <laughs> okay? Which is not a bad compromise for a language with no actual support for proper namespacing. All right. So that is our design pattern, right? So from now on, when we want to make an API, we have this self-executed anonymous... So the first thing will be our ternary operator to make sure our namespace exists. So PBS equals PBS, question mark, PBS, colon, squirrely, squirrely, semicolon. The next thing after that will be a self-executing anonymous function, and inside there, we'll do all of our work. And that is our model forevermore. And that is a really common design pattern for simulating namespaces in JavaScript. So that is the recipe going forward. Cool. Now, that's half the problem, right? Okay, we can now write an API. It's not a very exciting API we did today, but it is an API. We want to be able to document our code so that others can use it easily. And so to do that, we need to learn about some sort of way of automatically generating documentation. And the way to do that is with a technology called JSDoc, which stands for JavaScript Documentation. And JSDoc is an app that is written in JavaScript, so it's wonderfully circular. It's eating its own <laughs> tail here. And what it does is it reads the comments in a .js file and uses those comments to build the documentation. Cool. Now, it's not magic. So you have to write your comments in a format that JSDoc understands. So this puts an imposition on you to write your, your comments in a certain way. And JSDoc 
will ignore all comments unless they start with slash star star and end with star slash. So any comment you've been teaching us slash slash all this time. Because you don't want to have every single comment going into your documentation. Oh, okay. So things you write to yourself, hey, moron, don't forget to fix this. Right. <laughs> That's not going into your documentation. So we will refer to a comment that starts with slash star star as a doc comment. In other words, you're writing a comment for the documentation. So you should use proper English, punctuation, those kind of things. And then you can leave the swearing and stuff to the slash slash comments. <laughs> okay. The good new- Another piece of good news is that the JS doc will ignore a starting spaces and a starting star on subsequent lines. So it's very common to see slash star star and then in the next line star space and then the text star space and then the text and then finally star slash. Yeah, I've seen so people see put that stars at the, uh, on either side so it makes a nice big block that you notice. Now you can't do that with JS doc, but you oh, can you have can't. the stars down the left. Okay. You can't have them on the right. That will okay, confuse so the beep set of it. Slash star star and star slash. Start yeah. and end. So, okay. Yeah. So you will see the world's simplest JS doc. Okay, actually, first of all, we have to do is we need to install JS doc. So I said to you that JS doc is written in JavaScript. So we need to have JavaScript in our terminals. There are many ways of doing this. The easiest way by a million and one miles is a fantastic app called node.js. Wait, why do we need JS doc in the terminal? Because we are going to... JS doc is a command line app, Ah, which will take a .js file. Sorry, yes, I should have said that. So JS doc takes one or more .js files and it spits out a bunch of HTML files that are a website, which is your documentation. Oh, okay. So that's input.js files, output a web page. Okay. So in order to run JS doc, we need to have a JavaScript interpreter in our terminal. And the by far the easiest way to do that is one called node.js. And the great advantage of having node is that it is also a web server. So we'll come back to node in the future. So node is cross-platform. It's actually, it's actually the innards of the Chrome web browser. It's the uh, V8 engine that Google invented for Chrome, but in the terminal. Um, and so on the Mac, you can download it as a PKG file and you just run it and it installs. Uh, on Windows, there's, a, there's an installer. And on Linux, you will find that almost every package manager has it. So you probably say yum install node or apt-get node, whatever version of Linux you have. Uh, node comes with node, but it also comes with something called the node package manager <laughs> or NPM. And okay. the node package manager lets us install other people's JavaScript code at like a single command. So in order to install JS doc, we say npm space install space minus G for global space JS doc. Now that has to be done as root. So on the Mac, we say sudo space npm space install space minus G JS doc. We hit enter and we're done. We now have JS doc installed. Just as a little note, no, it doesn't require sudo because I hadn't read that next line and I wrote it without it and it worked. Did you have the minus G? Uh huh. At least I think it did. Well, can you type on your terminal? Please try running this command again as root slash administrator. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It gave you output, but it wasn't happy output. And it gave me all kinds of glop. So I just thought, okay, lots of glop must have run. Well, it downloaded everything it needed and then tried to install it and went flat on its face. Okay. So with sudo, it should give you a nice tree at the end showing all the packages it installed. Oh, it gave me the tree. Oh, and then it cropped out. Or it, Apparently. 
Yes. Get something out. <laughs> it did a bunch of extraction stuff, but yeah, but then aired after that. Okay, now I have a nice tree. Okay. Uh, so when you're done, it should be happy, and then you have JS Doc installed. Okay, so for, for the rest of everybody else here, you're going to hit a link in the show notes that says node.js. You download this application, and it's the one on the left that says for most users. And then mm-hmm. uh, you type this npm install, uh, or the sudo npm install g-g-js-doc, uh, and you're ready. Yeah, and if you're on Windows, you would right-click on Terminal app and say run as administrator, and then npm install minus g-js-doc. Okay. And on Linux, you'd use sudo, because Linux is sudo as well. Okay. Um, you will find in the zip file a file called jsdoc.conf.json. This is a configuration file for jsdoc that we will be using in the examples. It's a really simple file. It basically says output source files false and to use the markdown plugin because I know how much Alison loves markdown. <laughs> okay, this is getting kind of meta. We got we got, uh, we got uh, JS doc that we needed a uh, node to install that's going to ins- give us this Config that's going to let us talk to Markdown to HTML. The Markdown, the you Markdown promised is HTML. By the way, you said HTML. The output will be HTML, okay. but of course, Markdown is good at that, right? All right, fine. You don't have to use a Markdown, but if you want to make stuff bold, well, you kind of have to use Markdown. But if you want, if if your documentation never needs a, an ordered list, never needs a bulleted list, never needs bold, never needs italics. Never needs. So you can't use HTML to to do that. You have to use yeah. Markdown. Yeah, Markdown okay. is yes, absolutely. I can live with it. Yeah, it's uh, and use as little Markdown as you like, as long as you know the back tick to do code and the stars to do italics. You're probably fine. Okay. So a JS dot is just anything that starts with slash star star. So the fir- the first thing we have a function there called function fact n. In other words, the factorial of Wait, n. Where? What? Uh, JS dot is the heading on the show notes. Uh, okay. Uh, have we opened a file? What do you, where are we? It's in the show notes. This is a piece of sample code in the sample show notes. Sample code, thank you. Okay. I thought we were in that config file. Okay. No, no, no. The config file is really short. I'm just including it there because, well, otherwise it would be magic and I don't like magic. Okay. So we have, as our example, our very first JS doc comment. It says, calculate the factorial of an integer. That is a valid description of the function below. Not a very useful comment, but it's a good starting point. That is a valid JS doc comment that would compile and work. That would be fine. However, we actually should tell more. So a function, I want you to think of functions as black boxes, because when you're using an API, that's what a function is. It's a black box that has an input and an output. And you as a developer need to know what arguments do I put in and what value will the function take out? So, so you'd say something out. like, I'm going to want an integer going in, and what you're going to get out is going to be a string. Or in the case of the factorial function, an integer in and an integer out. Yeah, but yeah, I wanted to make exactly. it more interesting than that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, JSDoc has these things called tags. They start with the letter at, and then they have a name, and then you put in whatever you want. So there is a tag, at param. It's one tag per line, by the way. Um, so at param, and then inside squarely brackets, what you, what type you want, close the squarely brackets, give it a name, space minus space, and then some English. So, so this, if you is scroll a, down, this is a customary way to write it, or you have to write it this way? If you want JSDoc to understand what you mean, okay. you have to use at param and at returns. And so these at go returns, inside the comments? These go inside the comments. Okay. 
So if you scroll down, you'll see that I've rewritten the function to say calculate the factorial of a number. And then we have at param number n. The number to get the factorial of. It must be a whole positive number. That is useful documentation. At returns, number, the factorial of n. Yes. Okay. And that is a little bit of markdown there. What does Back number mean? Number is, okay, so you know in the Should JavaScript. Should it say integer? No, because if you do type of, you're going to get back string, number, boolean, or object. This would suggest so, you could give it an, a, uh, a um, fraction. I mean, a decimal. You are correct. You are correct. There are ways of being more specific. Okay. We haven't learned okay. those yet. All right. So I'm using English to describe. So I'm saying the number, the number to get the factorial of it, it must be a positive number. Oh, okay. Okay, number. got you. All right. Right. So the documentation will be complete. Uh, oh, I've noticed that backticks cause WordPress to go bonkers. I don't know what a backtick is. I heard you say that a minute a back ago. Backtick. Okay, so the backtick, you'll see there is a factorial of n, and then it has like reverse single quotes. Yes. On an Irish keyboard, they're under the tilde. I okay, have no that's idea where what... they are here. Okay, and my tilde is next to the Z, and I think your tilde is somewhere completely different. Yeah, it's in the upper left. Okay. okay. What, it, what was the important of backticks again? I'm really. Backticks lost. is markdown for show this as, as code. So show this as a fixed width font. Okay. So it's just normal in documentation when you give a variable name, you put it as full width so that people can tell the difference between an L, an uppercase I, a 1. Okay. So backticks just means show me in fixed width font. I do it as a I do it because it's best practice. Perfectly legal to skip it, right? I'm just doing it because it makes the documentation okay, but nice. What, what confused you? I, I don't understand what's wrong. That looks just okay, like backticks to me. Okay, scroll down from there and look at my entire document after a few minutes down there. It all goes into blue. Oh, everything else you've written in, in WordPress is now in that. I got you. Yeah, ya. WordPress swallowed my backtick and turned everything into code. Oh, oh, sod. I know why. I installed the WordPress plugin to read Markdown. <laughs> See, Markdown is bad. No, Markdown, unintended Markdown is bad. I'll fix that before, before the show goes out. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Ah. <sighs> And the final thing I just want to mention today is if your function throws an error, so we learned about throwing and catching, you should also mention in your documentation that your function might throw an error. And the tag for that is at throws. And then you say what type of error, and then you give it some English. So the final time we're rewriting this function for now is we say if n is not an integer, so we're using a regular expression, throw new error invalid argument. So now my document above says throws error. A generic error is thrown if n is not a positive whole number. So I have said in English what my function will do if you give it garbage. How come there aren't dashes like you said we had to have dashes? Dashes. The dashes are in the at param. And not in any of the other ones. Not in any of the other ones, Ugh. just to confuse the... Now, I, if okay. it makes you feel better, dash is optional. So if you don't so like I it, don't So I could put them in? It. Then no, it's option. You could leave it out everywhere. <laughs> if you put it in, you can only put it in the param. If you leave it out, leave it out everywhere. Let the record show. I will do this wrong. Moving on. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, you'll know it's wrong because when you're on your web page, you'll have minus signs everywhere. Okay. Finally, finally, I keep forgetting what is in my show notes. Let's scroll down. At example lets you put in sample code. And oh. at example will run over as many lines as you want. So you could have like a fifty-line example, and it will work fine. Okay, 
I don't understand where that is. I, I don't. Okay, so in the it? final code snap, so we have at throws, and then we have at example var x equals fact four, and it says x equals twenty four. Okay, so, so you put the, the example. So the example better be at the end of all this stuff. Yes, exactly. It's the last thing in the doc comment. There is at example, and then okay, because if you put a throws lines. after that, it would end up part of the example. No, no, because anything that starts in at will start the next thing. So oh, you okay. could put them. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And in fact, if you have a long description for a parameter, you can go over multiple lines. It'll just keep going until it meets the net the next at sign. Okay. Good. It's quite clever, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this has been a very hypothetical example. So let's document our Hello World API. Let's actually make a document. We have this API. It works. We just tested it. Let's document it and make a documentation site. So at the very top of our file, we put a doc comment with this tag I am just telling you about now for the first time, <laughs> at overview. At overview is the overview of the entire API. Okay. So at overview, a, sa a simple sample API that contains just one function. At author, Bart Bouchotts. I think you can guess what at author does. <laughs> author. Then we say set up the PBS namespace. Another doc comment. APIs related to programming by stealth are grouped under this namespace. And then you see a markdown link to the PBS website because you love Markdown so much. All right. And then we say at namespace. In other words, we are saying PBS is a namespace. How does that tell it it's a namespace? That's what at namespace means. It means no, but this you didn't write PBS after at namespace. Okay. So a js.comment belongs to the line of code it is directly above. Okay. So when I say slash star star and the thing that comes after it is var PBS, Without me telling JSDoc anything, JSDoc knows I am talking about PBS because JSDoc actually understands JavaScript. So that comment is straight above var PBS equals. So it is about var PBS, and I'm telling it that PBS is a namespace. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> then there's so only one more to absorb, Bert. Okay. I know, which is why we're going to see it in action. Yeah. Okay. This is a, this is a practice makes perfect one, right? So the last comment, so there's only three comments in this whole file. So we have a comment at the top to say what our whole API does. We have a comment above the namespace, and then we have a comment above the function. Okay. The, the comment above the function knows it's about a function because it's straight above blah blah equals function. So we say alerts the message, hello world, and we're using markdown to make it italic. At example, pbs.helloworld semicolon. Not a very exciting comment, but it is a valid legal comment, right? There are no arguments here. Hello world takes no input and gives no output. So we don't have a single at param because there are no parameters. And we don't have an at returns because there is nothing to return. And we don't have an at throws because it doesn't throw anything. What do you mean it doesn't have an output? It says hello world on the screen. Okay, but it doesn't return anything. There's no yeah, returns. Okay. All right. It's just yakking. It's just yakking. Okay. So we can now turn this into a documentation website with the command, which is hard to see in my really yeah, messed up show. it really shows. is now. <laughs> okay. I will fix that for the good listeners before we go live. Okay, is it going to be the so, line that starts with js.pbs.helloworld.js? Yes, it is. So minus minus destination is the name of the folder into which the web page will be created. And then we say minus C in our config file. So you need to open a terminal inside the PBS24 folder and then run that command. Okay, really lost. Uh, so JSDoc is is the is this uh, 
command line thing that we've downloaded and yes. installed. And then pbs.helloworld.js, is that the file we just created? That is the file we just created. Okay. So and that then is, dash, if you scroll up there. Yeah. And then dash Minus. dash dash. And then dash dash destination tells us what? Where to put okay, something? So, yeah. So, okay. So JSDoc takes as its input a JavaScript file and gives us its output a web page describing that file. So the web page goes into a folder because it contains a style sheet and a few other things. So the name of that folder is what goes in the minus minus destination. So we're going to say, basically, make me a folder called docs minus hello world. Okay. Okay. And then what's dash C and then some other junk? Is wit is the config file. So remember I said there was a config file okay. that would enable enable some stuff. Okay. So it, it just okay. all looks a lot alike. Part of it's a formatting problem, but I see JSDoc yeah. over and over and over again here and I it's hard to tell what's what. So JSDoc yeah, is the command, then the input, which is the JS the JavaScript file we just created, then we say dash s destination, we give it a folder to create, and then we say mm-hmm. use this config file that which we just magically have somewhere and haven't looked at. Well, yet. no, I, I told you it was in the zip yeah, file. I know, but I haven't, don't know what it says, but okay. Ah, okay. All right. Okay. So, so if you want to go ahead and, so CD into the, into the PBS 24 folder and then okay. copy paste that command. Uh, where's my terminal? Really? Really? And do what? Just copy paste that command. Copy paste that command, and you should. And well, a new yeah. folder should should get a created called docs dash hello world. Yep. And there I, is one. It's a miracle. Okay, so you should now, if you're well, you're running on localhost. So if you go to localhost forward slash pbs twenty four, you should be able to see that folder, and you can click into it in your browser, or you can copy and paste that big URL I have in the show notes. Okay, docs hello world. And you simple, should see a sample API that contains just one function. Everything's contained within the PBS namespace. Author Bart Bouchats. So in the right sidebar, there should be one navigation item, which is PBS. There's home names uh, and then PBS. Okay. Yeah. So if you click into the PBS namespace, you'll see the documentation for our massive API. It will say function and it will have an example. Methods. Methods. One. Hello world. Okay. And our little example code. I need to fix these show notes now. This is driving me absolutely. <laughs> it is, for the rest of you, just everything looks like it's it's highlighted code, and so we're reading is hard. Oh, that is that is insanely hard. Okay, there you so, are, you evil backtick. Are you fixing it right now for me? I am fixing it right now because I am about to go bonkers. Okay, <laughs> on my own show notes, which is terrible. Okay, but that's all right. Better now than later when everybody else is going what. Well, yeah, better one now than when I forget. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's going to happen. Oh, so, so much better. That, that, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so you can see the promise of JS doc here, right? So far, we have documented one very boring function. Mm-hmm. But if we're doing something complex, this will allow us to see at a glance every function, what goes in, what goes out, what exceptions it throws, an example of how to use it, and an English description of what it does. It looks pretty. It looks very pretty. And we created that simply by documenting our code. So it makes us do the right thing, which is write documentation. And it makes us do the right thing, which is write comments. And we do it all together. So the comment but is right But we get a reward out of it. And the reward we get is this beautiful web page. Yeah. And so this is, this is a carrot and stick very much working together. 
So from now on, when we write code, we're going to use JS doc comments. And then we can I get promise. our documentation out. Okay, so I want to set you a challenge. Okay. So in order to do our challenge, okay, what we're working towards and what I want you to make a first pass, right? So I don't want you to make a bells and whistles version. I want you to make a really simple clock in any time zone, which I believe you may want for your website. I do. Now, we're ready to write a clock. We just, all we learned how to do is write comments this week. Right, which is why we have a very tiny little more piece of code to, to teach you because we don't actually have to do the hard work of time zones. Someone else has done it for us. There is a library called moment.js. Yay! It's all about time <laughs> and it has an extension called moment minus time zone. So if you look in the contrib folder, you will see moment.js and moment minus time zone.js. So we yes. don't have to do any hard work. We basically need, in fact, all we need is the very simple code you will see in the show notes, which says var now equals moment dot tz Europe slash London. That is the time in London right now. To get out the hours, you say now dot format hh, which is 24 hours. And then now dot format mm gives you the minutes with the leading zero. That's all you need for a clock, hours and minutes. So any time zone you like, and the hours and the minutes pop out. Huh. Okay. Now, I'm being very generous today. I am giving you the entire HTML file. You don't have to edit a single character in this HTML file. The file is called uh, pbs24-assignment.html. Uh-huh. It imports moment.js and moment.js time zone. So it'd probably be good to read that and see how you did it. Mm-hmm. It also imports a file that I have half written called pbs.renderclock.js and inside that file you do have work to do but the html file already sucks it in uh, then it already calls the function that you have to finish writing which is pbs.renderclock and it says i would like the clock put into something with the id clock and i wanted to show the time in europe there's a little bit of css to make your clock look like a clock and then the body of the document is very simple an h1 tag the time in dublin and then a paragraph that says, right now it's span ID equals clock slash span in Dublin, Ireland. So your code is obviously going to have to turn that empty span into a clock. Now, you don't have to start from scratch. I have given you pbs.renderclock.js with a massive big comment that says your code here. Right? Okay. Okay. So this function, right, this file is a little bit I've done something interesting here. I have written the documentation of what the code should do. So the full JS comment is in the full JS doc comment is in there. Now, don't worry, this is, I have given you a little bit more help. So what you should do. So if you look at the function, so there is a function in that file called. What, what file are we in now, Bart? We've gone we in, deeper and deeper okay. and deeper. I feel like I'm in the seventh circle now. I. Okay, you're Are in we the in file. Pbs Exactly. Okay. So in there, you'll see on line forty-one, there's a comment that says your, your code, code here. here. Yeah, I found that. Okay. That's <laughs> inside a function, right? That whole file is only documentation and our magic incantation pbs equals pbs question mark pbs and the self-executing anonymous function, right? That's all I've written yes. there, and I've I've started a function called pbs.renderclock. And I've given it two arguments, dollar span 
and TZ. Is dollar, dollar span, span a variable or something? Yeah. What? Yes. Where is that defined? Right there. When you make a function, you say, I will call the first argument dollar span. So I am defined, I'm saying right there that when this function runs, whatever the first argument is, I will call dollar span. Is there, can you give me a clue what the word span means? Why it's, what? Okay, well, if in the HTML, the HTML file, span? Exactly. Right, okay. in the, if you look in the HTML file at the line where I call the function, we say dollar hash clock. So that is actually going to be the JavaScript object that represents that empty span in the HTML file. That is a that is a JavaScript that is a tag on the page that is completely empty now, into which you need to use jQuery to shove in the time in Los Angeles or Dublin or Rome or wherever you'd like. It yeah, is just I've an just a- open this the assignment file in HTML. What? Are, mm-hmm. What? Okay. Okay, so in the assignment, it's completely exploding. In case anybody listening can't tell, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm trying to go fast and. What's the what's the expression? More haste, less speed. I guess it's just there's so many embedded things here. We've got we've got the HTML, we've got the JavaScript that you've written. Okay, that's all we have. Just those two. Oh no, there's there's Markdown happening. There's all kinds of. Okay, so we've got an HTML file and a JavaScript file, and the HTML file is calling the JavaScript file. Yes. So on line twenty two of the HTML file, you will see it says PBS dot render clock. Okay. And it's calling it with the argument dollar pound sign clock. In other words, jQuery, give me the thing in the page with the ID of clock, which as you'll see is on line 48, span ID equals clock. And then a second argument is a string, Europe slash Dublin. So if we look in the JS file, that maps to dollar span and TZ. TZ is our time zone, dollar span is our thing on the page we need to transform. Okay. So the first thing you should do is empty the span. So do you know of a jQuery function to do? Still don't know what a span is, Bart. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just okay. lost. Does, What's a span? Okay, it's an HTML tag. It's just an HTML tag that contains nothing. So right? why is so it you, a variable name? In a JavaScript the variable name file. is the jQuery object that represents that span. So you know when we were men- messing around with links, we said dollar a equals, and then we got a we got a link in there. So dollar span is a jQuery object that represents that HTML element. So you can say dot text. So oh, span. okay, okay. So you want to use jQuery to transform that empty span into a clock. Okay. So the first thing I say is empty the span. So do you know a jQuery function to empty a span? I don't know. Uh, we dot empty. We used a few times. So dollar span dot empty. Nope. No okay, memory okay. of that. I'll tell you what, as a starting point, so that your head starts to see what's going on here, on the comment where it says your code here, put dollar span dot text. Well, I, I don't want you to give us the assignment. Uh, no, 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 but I want to, no, no, I need to, uh, if you don't even understand what I'm asking, this is going to go badly. Okay, I don't understand what all these files are as part of it, but okay. Okay. So no. under so your code here. Yeah, so on line 42, or just under that comment, put in dollar span dot text and then the string boogers. Okay. And then load the page in your browser. It's a JavaScript file. How do I load a... No, load the HTML page. Load pbsassignment24.html. Okay. With... Do I have to go through the... uh, 
Yeah, so okay, local right host now it's for, boogers uh, in Dublin. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Okay. So you see what we've done here? So it shouldn't be boogers in Dublin. It should be the time. Okay. And I've given you some code how to make the time. With the moment, dot now, and all that stuff. So that's in the show notes. So what you need to do is stick the time in there. Then create an interval that will run every 60 seconds and stick the time in there. That's a clock, right? What's the time now? Wait 60 seconds. What's the time now? Wait 60 seconds. What's the time now? Wait 60 seconds. What's the time now? That's <laughs> okay. a clock. So you need to write the time. Wait 60 seconds. Write the time. Wait 60 seconds. Write the time. That's all that function has to do. Okay, I can tell the first thing I need to do is read a couple thousand words over again that I was trying to read while you were talking to. Um, I, I understand the assignment now. <laughs> okay, now this is a first approximation of an API, right? It's just going to be a very simple clock. It's not going to be very exciting. What we're going to do next time is go from a simple clock to a clock worthy of sharing with the world. An API that you could actually give to someone and they would actually find the genuine use for in the real world. A real API. Not a little fake one with one function. A real API. Now, for those listening, might think that this is a silly thing, but we have not found a secure version of that on the internet. Exactly. So it is something so that is... maybe people want. And without that secure clock, that was causing my live show page to not render because I was calling an insecure element on a secure page. Yep. So I actually think this API is actually worth sharing with the world. Because you couldn't find one. So if we write one, well, let's share it. Absolutely. So I, I didn't actually think we'd be getting quite so real world, but we found an actual real world itch that needs scratching. So we're going to scratch it next time. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I have some work to do. I sure hope I don't wait till the night before this week. I suggest not doing so. Yeah. Yeah, well, you'll be surprised that it's Thanksgiving and a trip to Zion How I, and, the, and, my, and taking care of my grandson for a week. So I should be fine. Well, I, I'm not sure if you'll be happy to know, but my solution, which I already wrote, because I always write the solution first and then delete it and put in your code here, uh -huh. is only about 10 lines. Okay. I so just got to figure out all these files are, and I think, I think I'll get my head sorted when I, when I figure out how these files interact with each other. But I, this sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. As I say, you know where I am if you need to uh, ask me some questions. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bart. This was a lot to swallow. So like I said, better go do some reading. Indeed. I, I think ne sometimes I find it hard to get it into, into the error. So apologies, this one is a bit long, but there was no stopping point. Next time we're actually, next time we're doing all the same stuff again. My theory being, if we do the same stuff twice, it'll, it'll sink in the second time. Oh, I'd like that. That'd be good. So next time is consolidation of this knowledge. Good. That makes you feel better. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, until then, whenever that is, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com, and you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook, and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed.